Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. It's, uh, it is morning. Hey, <laughs> we're kicking off a brand new collection of messages today, and we're talking about addressing the mess. Uh, we want to address the mess. And um, Bronson was up here, actually, uh, in between the, the songs and the sermon and the announcements. And Bronson and his wife, Karina, lead our, our young people. They lead our youth, and they do a fantastic job. They do a wonderful job. <clears throat> and, uh, and then... Uh, the children's ministry is getting ready to do a, a kids' camp uh, up in Trinity Pines. I just want to say this. For me, some of the most impactful, pivotal moments of my life were camps. There were times when I was able to get away from my normal environment and just kind of be immersed in a, a moment where God could speak to me, uh, a healthy environment. And, and I just want to say, like, parents, uh, leverage opportunities like that for your children. Use them, uh, use them to, to move your kids forward in the things of God. And, and they do cost a lot of money because the, the, we don't own our own camp, uh, which means we have to rent another location. And the people that rent it to us that's their primary form of income. And so they're making money. And, uh, and so if you have a large piece of land you'd like to donate to the church so we could do our own camps, let's talk. Um, but if you don't, that's great. What, what I'd suggest is this. If, if maybe you're past the age of having children that would do that sort of a thing, uh, it, it would have been helpful when you had kids that young if somebody came along that, that didn't have kids to, to maybe sponsor your child. And I just want to encourage you, uh, maybe just think about what, what would it be like if we sponsored a child or two to go to one of the camps this, this summer. I know the youth are going to be doing a big fundraiser later. And uh, who knows uh, what amazing things we might do. I don't know if they're doing a fundraiser. I hope they're doing a fundraiser because I don't want to come up with all that money. Um, but when I did youth ministry in Alaska years ago... Um, can somebody straighten this row? I'm sorry. I'm, like, so distracted by, like, that's, like, okay, there. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. I, I'm just, oh, my God. It's way crooked. Okay. Um, when I did youth ministry, uh, he's, thank you. Thank you, both of you. Let's give him a hand. Let's go. <clears throat> Let's go. When I did youth ministry years ago, we used to do this fundraiser with a man in the church. He would, he flipped houses, and uh, he, like, flipped houses before there were TV shows making it, making it cool, and this guy had lots and lots of houses that, that he would flip, and the way the youth would raise money was this guy would pay us, all the teenagers, to show up at his house, that whatever house he'd bought, and to clean it up so that he could then get ready to start cleaning up the house. And I would remember there would be times when, like, you'd have to run in early to make sure, like, the teenage, the 13-year-old boys wouldn't find, like, stacks of dirty magazines. And, like, you'd, like, run through the house, like, checking to make sure everything was good. But there was always a time, like, every single time there was a moment where there were large appliances that were just, like, 
there. They weren't great. They, they were just like large appliances. And you could get the, 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 you know, the 14-year-old girls to, to, to move uh, things out of the yard or whatever. But when it came to large appliances, it was always hilarious because the boys, especially like the 16-year-old boys that are starting to feel themselves, are starting to be like, ooh, I'm like, I'm, I'm all that, you know. They'd always walk, they like go up to this big appliance. Like they're going to they're gonna grab this massive appliance and they're going to they're gonna move this, this big thing themselves. And so it's, they would, they like get their buddy, like go get in here, get in here. It was, it was hilarious because uh, how many of you know it never really worked? And today I want to talk about addressing the mess. I want to talk about something that is a huge appliance that sits in, uh, in the closets of our life, sits in the garage, sitting in the house that needs to get cleaned up. It's a big appliance. But as much as we try to move it, it doesn't seem to really move. In fact, it's such a big appliance that whenever I talk to people and I say, hey, what, what should we address as a church? What, what are things that are on your heart? What are things that are on your mind? This is one that always comes up. It's usually the number one thing people talk about, and it's this idea of anxiety and stress. I'm, I'm just dealing with a lot of anxiety. I, 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 you would be surprised how many people struggle with anxiety. And right now you're like, actually, I wouldn't be. But the truth is, it's a major problem. The New York Times did a, a study of 21 different nations reaching out to, to, to learn more about anxiety and the effects of it in our culture. And they discovered that 86% of people sometimes or often feel nervous, anxious, or worried. And in the exact same study, they discovered that Americans are, out of the 21 nations they surveyed, Americans are the most anxious people in the world. We've got lots going on. We've got so many things coming at us that we live in this perpetual state of worry, of anxiety, of fear of the future, always in our lives. The National Academy of Sciences, they did a study, and they said that 30%, roughly 30% of anxiety can be attributed to inherited causes. But the other 70% are often... Uh, factors coming uh, like environmental factors or situational factors that cause people to experience anxiety and worry. So today, I just want to talk today about what God says about anxiety, about fear, and about worry. Because it's a huge appliance. It's a huge mess that's in our lives. I want to say this. I'm just a pastor. I'm I'm not like a, a, a therapist. I'm not a licensed counselor, nothing like that. I'm just a pastor. I'm going to give you spiritual counsel right now. And I want to say this. If you're, if you're taking medicine right now or you have, have some sort of prescription because of anxiety, I want to say this. Keep taking your prescription. Okay? Uh, we're all for therapy. We're all for counseling. And we're all for whatever good thing God has brought into someone's life to be able to get them some relief. But I also want to say there, there's plenty of studies that are around that show that for the majority of people, anxiety can be cured with just changing your diet. And so today we're, we're going to talk more to, more, more to those things. So, so if you're on medication, use it. Unless you're stealing it from your mother's cabinet, then don't use it. <laughs> Stop. That's, that's not the will of God for somebody. <clears throat> 
Amazon does this study where they, uh, well, they don't do a study. Amazon collects all the information. Like Amazon, Facebook, all of that, they know everything about you. You know that. Like they know you better than you know yourself. And in Amazon, one of the things that they track is in all of the books that they uh, publish, the digital books, they track uh, portions of those books that are highlighted or, or cut and pasted into other um, other places. So like any Harry Potter book that has a, a highlight in it somewhere, any sort of like pride and prejudice, like any kind of book that's highlighted, they can track what portions of that book are the most valued portion of the book. And then what they do is they repackage that as quotes and they send it back to you and they're making money off you again because of advertisements. But when they look at the Bible, they can track the exact same thing with the Bible and they say that the most highlighted, digitally highlighted portion of the entire Bible is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I, I just want to say, there, there's a, there is a deep search in our world for how do I deal with the worry, the, 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 the sort of sense of always not knowing what's coming next, the, the tension of stress in my life. And we all deal with anxiety to some degree. Some more, some less, some often, some few. But we all deal with these stresses. I think one of the number one reasons why we deal with anxiety is this. It's because life is hard. I thought you were going to be deep, Pastor. No, not today. Life is hard. Downsizing the company and, and, and you're wondering if your name is on the chopping block. Or maybe you've been together for years, for decades, and now they're coming to you saying, I'm no longer in this thing for the rest until we, you know, until we depart. I'm no longer there. Or maybe your children are going through things that you wish you could just take it for them so that they didn't have to deal with the stresses and the pressures that they're going through in life. Or perhaps for you, you have friends that you feel like betrayed you, and it makes it hard for you to ever open up to somebody again. It makes you hard to trust people. It makes it hard for you to allow others in. Or for, for you, maybe you're going to college, but you've also discovered that you still got to have a job even when you're going to college, and it just creates a lot of additional pressures. And the truth is, is that life is hard. And anyone telling you different is selling you a lie. Life has difficulty. Life has pressure. I think that the second reason why we end up with this huge appliance of anxiety in our lives is because we live unfiltered lives. We, we, we don't have a, a very good means of filtering negative or um, stressful things out of our lives. We, we allow unfiltered access to our eyes and to our ears from anyone who wants it. And in fact, I'll say it like this. Like, our, our phones are probably the greatest source of our anxiety, really, uh, our feeds are feeding us. They're, they're stuffing us with ideas and content, but the truth is it boils into a thing called 
anxiety, or, or perhaps maybe for you, you're younger, and so when you were a teenager, the way you got away from the world was what you did is you got on video games thinking that was a way to find stress relief. The truth is, studies show video games do not create stress relief. They actually increase the amount of stress someone experiences. That's impossible, Pastor. No, you run around and get shot at for three hours, and you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be stressed out. And so what we do is we compare ourselves to the world around us, completely unfiltered, not realizing that, that the stuff coming at us is, all, is not all meant to stick in our soul. We, we compare ourselves as though we're not enough, we're, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, our family's not cute enough, our, our, our job isn't great enough, like our, our, our role in society isn't big enough, constantly comparing ourselves to other, and this just creates more Anxiety creates more stress. Can I say this, that just because someone looks healthy on the outside does not mean they're healthy on the inside? And just because someone's able to take a nice picture of themselves and put it in front of you every single morning does not mean they have it all together. And this comparison thing we live in, completely giving access to our lives is terrible. Really, we have this constant bombardment, even of like, they call it the 24-hour news cycle, don't they? 24-hour news cycle. I mean, I, like, it's just constantly coming. But, but why is it that when you're getting news, you seem more stressed out than you were before? What, what I mean, like, you, you get off work, you drive home listening to the news, and by the time you get home, you're ready to, like, just burn it all down. Well, the reason is this. It's, it's actually another really simple thing, is that the news cycle is not designed to give you the entire story. The, the, the news agencies aren't interested in giving you all the information. They are businesses, people. And they're making their money off of advertisements. And so the way they make their money is they give you some of the story, most of the story, leaving you on a cliffhanger so that you'll come back tomorrow to get just a little bit more. I'm just saying it's not evil. It's the way they're making their money, but it creates stress because you're constantly left on a cliffhanger wondering what's going to happen with this big tragedy, what's going to happen with this big thing. It creates anxiety. No wonder we spend billions of dollars. Americans spend $225 billion a year for anxiety medication, according to the New York Times. That, that's, that's big business, people. No wonder we do it, because we have this world of unfiltered lives. The, I, I would say the next place that we get anxiety comes from our unrestrained minds, we, we, we hear a story, we, we, we see a thought, and, and what we do is we don't control the timeline of our, of our mind, or the storyline of our mind. We, we take a, a small truth, a small story, and we run with it. We create all these crazy scenarios that have never happened in your life before and will likely never happen in your life coming after, but in our mind, they, they, they seem so real, don't they? So real. As a parent, this happens often. My kids will get into arguments, and, and my response when they're in an argument is, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get them to stop fighting because there's this weird anxiety inside of me, this story I'm creating, that because they're arguing with their siblings, they're never going to have friends. <laughs> 
And because they can't delay their gratification on some small thing, they're going to end up in prison. You know what I mean? Like, this is... This is what's going on in my mind. It's, it's this, this rabbit hole I go down, and it creates a massive level of anxiety. Can I tell you that the reason you have anxiety and the reason we struggle with worry and the reason we struggle with stress is because we're ultimately in a battle. At the end of the day, you and I are in a battle. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it like this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He, there's an enemy of your soul. And if I was him, the, the greatest way I would, I would interact with you is to simply convince you that I don't exist. Because when you don't know you're in a war, you can't defend yourself. This is one of the greatest tragedies of World War II, is that the, the, the British ambassador to Germany didn't believe that anyone could actually be that evil. And so there was no preparation for an actual war to happen. The same thing with 9-11. We, we, just, we didn't realize we were at war with somebody. I'm just saying there is an enemy of your soul, and, and, he, and he's not like some sinister little, uh, you know, red guy with a, with a long tail, a little horns, a little a plastic pitchfork. That, that would be great. Like if he was just like some, you know, middle-aged dude wearing his little brother's tight suit, uh, you know, like that would be, we could deal with that, you know. <laughs> Maybe he needs some Medicaid, we could deal with him. <clears throat> But the, but the truth is, he's not like that. And I think some of us, we, we pretend like he doesn't exist. And some of us, we think he's behind every bad thing that happens in our life. And so anytime we run out of gas, it's like, ah, the devil's fighting me. It's like, no, the, de the devil's not fighting you. Like, you just have to put gas in the gas tank. <laughs> it's like a principle of cars, right? They run on gasoline. That's not the devil. That's not the devil, or, or like the water heater runs out in the house, and we're like, oh, the devil's after us, the devil's, it's an attack from the, it's not an attack from the enemy, like that, that hot water heater lasted for 15 years, like five years passed when it was supposed to last, like it, that's not the devil, that's, that's life, but we do have an enemy of our soul that does attack, I love it when uh, there's, there's people in the church that come to me and they'll, they'll say things like, hey, pastor, I, I just want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. And sometimes when I hear that, I, I'm like, I don't know how to respond. Sometimes I, I'm like, ah, is, there something, is there something going on that I don't know about? <laughs> like, like, is, something, is something wrong? Are you seeing something in me? Is there something in me that we, like, that we need to address? Like, what's going on? But the truth is it, is, it is incredibly encouraging when someone comes and says, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm, I'm standing with you. I'm just, I'm believing. Like, it, it's a powerful thing. But I want you to know, like, right back at you, like, I'm, I'm praying for you. Because your enemy, your enemy, the adversary, is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and there's this idea in the church that he's really after church leadership. He's just really after preachers. 
yeah, he's after preachers, and he's after preachers' kids. But he's also after lawyers. He's also after doctors. He's after stay-at-home moms. He's after first responders. He's after school students. He's after finished carpenters. He's, he's, retired. He, he's after retired school teachers. I'm just saying, like, the enemy of your soul is not, like, selective in who he's after. He's after anybody who is a child of God that has divine purpose in their life. He's after them. And, and, and he can't stop you from your salvation. He can't prevent salvation in your life. But through anxiety, through an old piece of mess, through a lot of worry, he can keep you from accomplishing God's will for your life. He can keep you hobbled so you'll never step into God's plan. Here's, here's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 45, or 4 through 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every, uh, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What am I saying? Like, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, when we're talking about spiritual battles, it's not some sort of mystical thing floating through the air. It happens in this place. It happens in this place. And if you want to confront the enemy of your life, you've got to recognize that there are some thoughts that have lofted themselves above the knowledge of God, some worries, some anxieties that are preventing you from experiencing all the goodness of God in your life. Going back to that passage of 1 Peter 5, in, in verse 9 it says this, Resist him, firm in your faith, standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter says this, if you want to defeat the enemy, what you do is you, do, you resist him. The Bible says this, like for sexual temptations to run. I love, this is what I love about the Bible. It's so practical. For sexual temptations, your response is to lose all dignity, because you're going to lose it one way or the other. Like, lose all dignity and run. Run. Like, like get out of there. Like, it might be awkward. If I, run. Be like Joseph. Like, just run. But when, but when it's talking about the, the adversary of your soul that, that is putting ideas in your head, specifically things like worry and anxiety, his response is this. We resist him. Well, how do I resist him? We're talking about like, 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 a, like, a, like a football player stiff-arming another player. Right? You're like, you stiff-arm. Like, like, have you ever, when you were a teenager or a younger kid, there was a littler kid that was upset at you, and you just stuck your hand out on their forehead, and, and they're just swinging it, they're swinging it, so upset, they're kicking and they're biting, but your hand's out there, and they, they just can't get to you. I, I'm just saying for somebody today, stop allowing him so close. You can resist this thing. You can, you can push it back. This is Peter talking. Peter that knows well what it's like to have anxiety and worry. We talked about it last week. Look, Peter's this guy that, that, that denies Jesus three times. Peter's the guy that, that struggles throughout his faith. Peter's the guy that, that Jesus is like, hey, get behind me, devil. Peter, Peter the one that, that, that was up and down and and all over the place in his faith. It's, it's this Peter that looked back over the course of his life. 
and he starts writing a book called First Peter. And he's able to look back at the moments that he had worry and he had anxiety. I mean, that's what's going on. That's why he follows Jesus from a distance at the cross. He's, he's worried. He's filled with anxiety. He's afraid for his own life. And looking back over the course of his life, Peter, he starts thinking through the way he has interacted with God and the way the enemy has come at him. And he says it like this. He says, the enemy of your soul is like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Peter's saying like, he almost picked me off. Jesus said it like this. Peter, he's come to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that, that your faith would not fail and that when you turn again, you'd go and strengthen the bread. Like Peter, there's something in Peter that just says like, look, like he's like a lion. You don't, you can, you can play dead with a bear, but you can't play dead with a lion. Like there's got to be some active response. There's got to be this pushback that says, no, not in my mind, not in my world. I'm just like, Peter recognizes like God's hand was on my, my mind. God's hand is is in my life. I just want to tell somebody today that the adversary may be like a roaring lion, but God's hand is on your life. God's purpose is in your house. God has plans and purpose for your children. So don't sit back idle. Don't, don't rest on your laurels. Don't play dead. Resist the enemy and he'll flee. The next verse says it like this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. I just want to say he's the God of grace to somebody today. We have anxiety and worry because sometimes we feel like we don't measure up because we've got all, all the stresses of the world. Listen, he's the God of grace. He's not expecting perfection out of you. He's not expecting you to get it right every time. He's the God of all grace. There's a difference between grace and mercy. So mercy is, is when you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is when you got pulled over speeding. And the police officer says, you were going 10 miles an hour faster, and I should give you a ticket, but I'm not going to. Somebody's like, amen. Now that's, that's an example I have no knowledge of. <laughs> I got a ticket the other day, and then I'm, I'm like at the mayor's office, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're trying to do more, more, more stops and less tickets. I'm like, why did I get the ticket? Like, why am I the one with the ticket? <laughs> because, he, he, like, that's what mercy is. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is, grace is not... not Avoiding what you don't, what you do deserve. Like grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is when we were young married and we had three little kids in the back, two little kids in the back of the car. We're driving through Wasilla, Alaska, and there's this this big bridge that connects sort of one side of the valley to another. And as we're driving across the bridge, I see red lights turn on behind me, and this police officer pulls us over. He says, "You know why I pulled you over?" And I was like, "Because I was speeding. Like I have no idea. Like I did something." He said, because I saw two little heads in the back of your car. So what do you mean? Like, oh, we didn't steal these ones. <laughs> you can have them. 
and he's like, how many you got back there? And he looks in, and he pulls out two Snickers bars, and he's like, boom, boom, to the kids. I was like, that's grace, because I know they didn't deserve Snickers bars. And it says he's the God of all grace. That means he's, he's giving you something you don't deserve. He, he's willing to interact with your life in a way that you don't, you don't merit, that you didn't earn. In fact, grace can be described as this God's unmerited favor. Peter didn't deserve to be the spokesman of the new church in the book of Acts. Like, Peter didn't deserve to be the guy that wrote two books of the Bible that have been cherished for millennia. He's the one that abandoned Jesus. He's the one that was so captured by worry and stress that he ran. He's the one that when the new church began, he got so caught up in what other people thought that he changed the gospel. Like he started going down the wrong way with the gospel until Paul came and said, you're getting it wrong, Peter. Like, like, like Peter doesn't deserve the grace of God, and yet the grace of God is for him. In the same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, the mighty hand of God. Listen, if, if you're struggling with stress and anxiety in this room today, can I tell you that he is a mighty God? He has power. He, you are not on your own. You are, you are not trying to make it through this thing by yourselves, but he has a mighty Hand. His arm is outstretched and none can stop it. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says it like this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life, or is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They, not, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you growing anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things be added. In 1 Peter 5 verse 7, it says it like this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And those seem great, and they, and they make great magnets on the refrigerator. The truth is it's not that easy, is it? 
Like just seek first the kingdom of God. Just cast all your cares on him. Well, we cherry pick verses like, can I just be, well, we, preachers, we cherry pick certain verses because they just sound really good, you know what I'm saying? Like we cherry pick verses that say like, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Ah! Like, like that's, that's honestly, we can do that. Like, like he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much that you can't contain it. Like, that's exciting Bible. But the truth is it's a little bit cherry-picked. Out of context, it, it seems a little too good to be true. But, but both of those verses, that, that God will supply all your needs and that he'll pour, open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Both of those verses are not just like blank checks written to the church. They're both in the context of generosity. What it means is God is saying this, like, if you're a generous person, my God will supply all your needs. Like, if you would have a generous heart and give towards other people, like, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much that you can't contain it. I'm just saying, like, like people that are super stingy with this, they always say, like, I feel like God never provides enough. I just don't have enough to give. But you find somebody that gives, and they're like, I just can't give enough away. Because it's a biblical principle. It's not just a blank check promise. It's a principle. It's a principle that if you're generous... God will take care of you. You're not going to have to worry. And the same thing goes even with anxieties and fears. Generosity is a principle. But 1 Peter 5 verse 6 then tells us what the principle is behind resisting the enemy. The principle behind dealing with anxiety. The God of peace will guard your heart. What is that principle? It says this in verse 5 verse 6. I already read the verse. I just didn't talk about this part. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. In fact, let me read it in context. One verse, for, one verse earlier, it says it like this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. I'm just saying, like, sometimes we get so caught up in our own ability to manage the trash of life. It's, it's me. I'm, I'm going to handle this. And I don't need to call. Other, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, I, they're, they were dealing with a sickness, and we're talking. And they're like, I, I'm just not good at, like, having other people involved in knowing that I'm not doing well. Like, that's great, but the biblical principle is humble yourself. Like, you don't need to take on all the mess by yourself. Like, you, you've got to allow other people, and you've got to, you've got to get, get out of the mindset that says, I've got to be a, a self-made woman that can take, like, I've got to be strong. I've got, I got to be in, no, 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 you don't have to be strong. You need to get other people. The Bible says it like this. You need to humble yourself. Because how much of our stress, how much of our anxiety comes because we're so convinced that I got to figure this out, that I got to take care of this thing myself, that I can't tell my wife how much debt we're struggling with because I got to figure this out. Now, I, I, can't, I can't go to my friend and be like, hey, I'm struggling and like, I, I got to get myself together. The biblical principle, if you want to deal with it, is this, stop making it about you. 
Humble yourself doesn't mean like I'm going to feel bad about myself. I'm going to think bad. No, it just means I'm going to stop focusing on me. I'm going to bring other people in. I'm going to say, hey, I, I, I need help. I, I, I need, and, and humble yourself before God means I'm going to start bringing things to God. So life is hard. We have unfiltered lives, unrestrained minds. But the root of our anxiety is that we want to fix it by ourselves. Like the, the, the root of dealing with it is, we, like, I'm going to handle it myself. I, I, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to put a smile on and just press on through. And the scripture says that God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Humble your, yourself, therefore, before God, and he will elevate you at the right time. So the way we deal with it is actually turning towards God, saying, God, I need to allow you into this situation. Here's what Philippians chapter 4 says. This is that verse that was super quoted in Amazon. So it must be true. It says it like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Pray. Get a hold of God. Bring God into your situation. Don't be proud. Don't keep him out. Don't stiff arm God. Bring God in. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The verse goes on and it says it like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. He's saying, because that's what we do, right? We, we, we talk about the things that give us anxiety. Like, I, I'm, there's another crowd, there's another crowd, there's another crowd. We, we talk, like, oh my goodness, that's another bill, that's another bill, that's another bill. And he's saying this, stop talking about the things that create the anxiety. Instead, of whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You want to release the anxiety, the 70% that it's just sort of situational stuff. I'm saying, stop focusing on the situations. Start saying, God, would you have your will in my life? Would you have your way? Going back to 1 Peter chapter 5, it says it like this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It says it like this, that he himself will deliver you. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So when we're dealing with the anxieties of life, the stresses of life, we can fight. I got to deal with this thing. I got to get it figured out. Call, call another 14-year-old boy, and the two of us are going to carry it up the stairs. But the, the Bible says that there's a better plan than putting it on your backs. 
whenever I saw those teenagers doing that, I would always be like, hey, guys, you want to see magic? There's this, there's this thing called a, a dolly. Has anybody ever heard of a dolly? Does anybody, do we, do we have a dolly in the house anywhere? Look at this. Oh, boom. Let's go. Let's go. Derek came to church prepared. Good job. Hey, yeah, God, would you mind help me? It says, he himself, he himself will take care of you. There's just this thing, you can handle it yourself or you can say, God, I'm not going to be super proud and think I'm going to put this on my 14-year-old back all by myself. I'm, I'm not going to try to carry this up the stairs because I'm, I'm trying to prove to all my friends that I'm a strong, strong young man. I'm a strong young woman that can just, I can handle anything. It says he himself. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And then it says that he himself, he'll take it. Like the, People say this, like, God won't put anything more on me than I can bear. That's, that's not what the Bible says. It says there will not be a temptation on you more than you can bear. That's a temptation. Stress, anxiety, there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that we've just been holding on to, just trying to struggle at ourselves because we think God said he wouldn't give me more than I can bear. He said that about temptation, not anxiety, not stress. And the way we deal with it is we say, God, I'm just going to come to you and I'm going to let you be the dolly. I'm going to let you be the one that actually carries it. You're going to be the source. You're going to be the strength. Thank you, Derek. Let's give Derek a hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's single. <clears throat> can I tell you this? The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. The height, nor depth. No, nothing. Okay, let me say it like this. Your mental health struggle, your anxiety, whatever it is, it doesn't separate you from the love of God. In fact, there's biblical precedent that shows that it actually draws you closer to God. The Bible says it like this in Psalm 34. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. You don't understand. I've just been dealing with this anxiety. I've been dealing with this over and over and it won't go away. And I'm saying today, today it doesn't separate you from God. In fact, you probably experience the closeness of God more often than you recognize. Because he's close to the brokenhearted. He is not distant, as the band would come. He's not distant. He's close. He's not far. He's right where you are. And when you need his grace, he is a mighty God with an outstretched hand. Would you stand with me all across the room? one of the 30% that for you it's, it's, a, it's a thing you're taking medicine for. You, you've got a prescription, but you keep doing that. But I want to say this. I, I believe in a God that can also restore mental health. I believe in a God that can heal anxiety and bring perfect peace to those that set their minds on him. seen it happen.
happen. I've seen women just completely paralyzed with anxiety. And in an encounter with God, all of that changes. I've seen men so wrecked with fear and worries that they couldn't allow their friends or family in on. They, they looked normal from the outside, but the inside of them, devastated by worry. And I've seen our great God, our God of grace, restore men just like that. If this is for you, maybe you struggle with some worry, some anxiety, and you just, you just want us to pray together, would you just kind of raise your hands in kind of a receiving type posture? Come on. Lord Jesus, you are the God of all grace and mercy. And your word says to cast our cares on you because you care. I pray right now for every man and every woman under the sound of my voice. The enemy has been speaking into their mind and into their ears that they're not good enough, that things won't work out, that it's all going to fall apart. But your word says that you yourself will establish us, that you yourself would lift us up. So right now, I pray that anxiety would be released in the name of Jesus Christ. That worry would be set down. That we would stop trying to be the kind of man that has it all together, doesn't let anybody in, or the, or the woman that just can't show cracks in the facade. God, I pray we'd be the kind of people that allow others in, and most importantly, we rest it all on your shoulders and allow you to move the mess in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can trust him. You can rely on him. He's worthy of it. God bless you, church. Let's respond to the Lord. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.